log into your Twitter. I need to get used to this. Steven's talking. I'm Armand's talking. Ah, all right. Steven's talking. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a spicy one. No, we're live. Here we are. I'm running the ones and twos today. Okay, I linked it. Okay. Dude, we're live. You're trying to link up your friend tech? Yeah. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> this is skintillating. Uh, Armand, you need to use a microphone. Oh, yeah. Get your mic off. Armand's setting up his friend tech. It's completely broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I'm onboarding. I've signed in three wow. times. This is going to be a spicy one. This is going to be a great one. I signed in three times. Spicy I just one. logged into the Twitter part, too. It's still broken. Steven, your shares are up 3x since we bought. Yeah. I'm dumping. <laughs> this is hilarious. How do you guys not see what's going to happen here? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, let's come, everybody. Let's put a pin in that. Alpha, let's put Alpha a pin in that. podcast. Got to lurk in a little bit while uh, Armand <laughs> sets up his friend tech. Um, we are four like entrepreneur and investor like friends seeking the edge in money and meaning. We are Eric Johansson, Armand Asadi, Steven Cesaro. I am Nick Urbani. This week we are covering friend tech. Friend tech. And uh, we'll talk a little other money stuff. We got some car buying alpha, a little market update. Um, but we're interested in discovering is this uh, social media app, crypto app? I don't know what we call it. Is it the thing that takes uh, crypto mainstream? We got some uh, strong opinions today, mm. so it should be a fun talk. <laughs> it's not. Um, it's, it's yeah. It's dead uh, in the water. Support the podcast uh, if you like. Have some fun. Uh, put your uh, comment on the screen by donating. Uh, donations nine dollars or more go up on the screen on the YouTube, and uh, go to streamlabs.com/alphalphapod. Use the PayPal link. And shout out to Hook'em. Uh, last week, donated $250 for the bar tab Amazing. in Permissionless. That a baby. Big Huge. guy. Well, yeah, we'll definitely use it. Absolutely. That's for go. sure. Um, we will be at Permissionless. Steven and I will be there. We're going to throw a little uh, happy hour, a little fun time for everyone to get together in person. I know there's a big crew. got an Alpha Alpha house going uh, for the conference, which will probably be the party house. Maybe oh, we'll yeah. throw a little dinner shindig there. Pickleball tournament. Pickleball tournament, all the fun things. I'll be bringing my paddle. Um, another way you can support the pod, send out your favorite episode. Uh, could be this one to a friend or a family member. Let them know where the edge is, where the alpha is. Um, and then check out um, all the links are at alphaalphapod.com, Twitter, YouTube. If you're listening in, subscribe on the YouTube. We're live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. PST. And uh, we have a little smorgasbord of drinks yeah. on the table. Yeah, today. courtesy of uh, who's who's turn this week? Well, it's uh, it's mine, but they yeah. were uh, donated through Carne Asada Chris. He Very had nice. some uh, gems lying at the house. So uh, one is probably uh, easy to move into. One's a little rough. Uh, the first one is a Don Julio Reposado, 1942 yeah, Reposado. I think I did this backwards. I went, I went straight for the heat. Oh, oh yeah, you did? Do that. Yeah. So the 1942 is usually a Nejo. Mm -hmm. Extra añejo, yeah. Or just añejo. Um, this is the reposado, and we cracked it open because uh, I've never had it before, so we'll we'll try it out. And then we have a Weller's bourbon, yeah, full which proof. is full proof. I think it's 114 proof. Yeah, 
So use with You're caution, boys. You're going to get spicy, Capitan. Yeah, I'm going to start <laughs> flurring by the end of this. <laughs> the old slur. I love slurring, Armand. He's yeah? the best, Armand. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> We're missing Jordan um, this week. Uh, our producer, Jordan. So, so uh, we got you on the ones and twos. So I'm on the ones and twos. Hell and uh, yeah. I apologize in advance if uh, I lose track of, of the cameras. <laughs> yeah, we miss you, Jordan. We got some lurkers in the house. Thank you, lurkers, for unlurking yourself. Yeah. That's the first step. Taza, Poos. The second step is stepping into the Discord at alfalfapod.com and giving us an introduction. We got Adam in last yeah. week. That we was had, a good we've con- had convert. Some good lurker conversion. Huge pull. Huge conversion pull. rate. Well, yeah. Adam was very active, non-lurker in yeah. the YouTube. But he went YouTube to Discord conversion. I love that. He's watching Donald Trump right love now. Love that. But uh, Poog Lagoon, thanks for showing up. Basil, Pilgard, Hookum. Taza. Calcium, as always. Tunsky, I know you're in there. So thank you all for joining the chat. That's where the extra alpha is. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Highly encourage you guys, if you're listening to the podcast, you know, join on YouTube, watch the chat replay as we go through the pod. Um, all right, let's thank our sponsor, uh, Zbiotics. Yes. Um, slash alfalfa for 15% off. Did you guys take your Zbiotics today? I did. I did. Good sure stuff. did. Good boys. We're yes. going to have to re up before permissionless. Took a lot of it this weekend in Mexico. Oh, you did? Yeah. Tell us. What were you doing in Mexico? Uh, a lot of drinking. Good. And uh, you survived throughout yeah. the whole trip? I did. I had to pull the ripcord and get home early before the freaking hurricane, which I did not know was happening, by the way. First of all, that was a rug pull. First I mean, of the, all, the yeah. hurricane. No, was sorry, a, the hurricane. Was a light, I uh, thought my light rain. house was it, it was a hurricane. We had an earthquake, too. We did have an earthquake in the middle of it. Like, was, um, I mean, uh, were you working out? Were you doing other things? Or did Zbotics kind of like... Uh, I did play pickleball at this random Mexico City park with like a basketball hoop where there were no nets and people were playing soccer on concrete with no nets on the goals and it, it, they're just graffiti everywhere it was quite the experience picklers actually. took over that too huh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we did so um we took our zbiotics before the pod zbiotics is a pre-alcohol probiotic so you you take it before you drink and kind of avoid that uh shitty morning after that you usually have from a night of drinking or a day of drinking it uh, breaks down a byproduct called acetaldehyde that your body produces when you drink alcohol and breaks it down so you don't feel like crap in the morning. Um, PhD microbiologist uh, developed it, so thank you, scientists. Great job. I'm glad we're focusing on our the most really important impact. things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it impacts me quite a bit. Are we in touch? Have we heard back? Yeah, yeah. We're going to uh, see if we can set up an in person interview in San Francisco. Beautiful. So, yeah, if anyone in yeah, that's listening that. knows of a podcast studio in San Francisco that we can use, we're on the hunt for one because it would be fun to have Zach, the CEO of Zbiotics, yeah. and for us to go seats. up to him. Yeah, we need five seats. That's the, and it's uh, got to be cool. Yeah. It's got to be fun. Yeah, it's funny. I showed it to my buddy in Mexico, and the first thing he goes is like, "Oh, they were in Y Combinator seven years ago." Yep, yeah. I was that's like, right. It's <laughs> like, yeah. how do you know I think, that? I Damn. think more recently, I think it was like 2018 or something. It's a very long incubation. Yeah. I think they were 2018. So um, anyway, it's worked for four of us. Try it out yourself. Cbiotics.com/slash/alfalfa. All right. So um, we got some bigger topics to talk about, but. Um, I uh, have seen the cars in the parking lot change recently in the office here. Car stuff? Yeah, and I realized that uh, Armand's kind of like a 
Level 9,000 car no, trader. Oh, no. My stepbrother is level 9,000. This is so, very Persian of you, by yeah. the way. Yeah. 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 I was going to say that. Wait, you're one of those guys who, like, they, they get the car at the auction, and they're like, yeah, I get to drive around these cars, and then I sell them and make money. I, I knew, like, a bunch, <laughs> I knew a bunch of those guys when I moved here. I uh, haven't gone that far. Oh. Um, so, yeah, like, growing up in Sacramento, it's just a different life, right? And, you know, the idea of like going to a dealership and all this, you know, we were teenagers just like buying and selling cars, racing cars. Like one week we'd have an Integra. The next week it'd be like another souped Integra. up car, you know, oh, I want the Type R this week oh, or I want a cool. Camaro. You know what I had in high school? Hmm. I drove a 1990 Ford Taurus station wagon. Nice. Was it ha first handled car? like a German tank. Yeah. We all <laughs> start somewhere. Ridiculous. I started with a 93 Civic. Five speed, though. Same. Ripped it Mom's up. Automatic. I would have killed it up. But it had all car. Tesla lights at, at at least five horsepower. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and then you had to have the 12-inch subs in the back, you know, cruising through Sacramento. But <laughs> at that time, I began to learn the process of, like, buying private party. And then as time went on and I became an adult and you look around and your friends are all going to, you know, the dealership to buy a car. First of all, I, I, I think the key alfalfa about all of this is, like, Buying a car new has to be one of the dumbest financial decisions you can make. Agreed. I think everybody knows that the moment you drive off the lot, you've lost 20%. And I think in general, a car is a terrible purchase. Like a car in general, not only does it lose tremendous value over time, but you have the insurance, you have the gas. If it's, if it's not an electric vehicle, you have all the maintenance that comes with it. And at the end of the day, you're just, it's a... Freaking liability. It's a huge liability. But you got to drive. Got to drive. You got to drive. Unless you're in like New Especially York City. Especially in SoCal. Yeah. Unless you're in New York City, San Francisco, major city, Rome. You got to drive. So then you're faced with the decision of what to buy. And I think that if you're buying a newer car, if you want a newer car, you can get some incredible deals. You don't get the customization. You don't get the exact, you know, package you wanted. But if you're patient enough, you can find it. You can find a car that's a year or two old and do this. Now, in general, though, it, you, would, you would have to go to a dealership to do something like that. But if you look private party and if you learn how to buy and sell private party, you save a ton more money, like a ton more. I always get worried, though, because like private party, you don't know, you know, have they been taking care of the car? Is it like pre-checked? I like the uh, certified used cars. So mm -hmm. do you have a way to... I guess, ensure that you're not going to buy something that's going to cost you three grand. So when they sell you a later. certified used car and you've, you've done this, what do they tell you? Like, what do they say if something goes wrong? I mean, I don't, if something goes wrong, I don't know if there's anything additional. Sometimes there is like an ex, the warranty, a warranty, a warranty, which usually needs to be purchased. Certified, right. baby. You feel yeah. good about it. It's like a certic audit. Oh, like yeah. I'm wondering, <laughs> is this just branding? Marketers because... get sold by other marketers. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. They checked all the bolts. They tightened them. It sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and I think this, a couple is, times. this is <laughs> this is the alpha. It's like if you can step out of that world of like what appears like safety and realize that actually they're selling you a car that they don't give a fuck about. They bought from an auction. All they had to do to buy that car at the auction is see if the ignition turns on, and that's all they're allowed to do. They're not allowed to drive it. They're not allowed to do anything at these auctions. And generally, it's just quick bid, move on, next car, take a look at it, and, and that's it. 
You get a peak, no drive, nothing. You don't know how anything's working. And it's, and it's you're selling, you're buying as is. By the time it gets to you, most of these shops have like a small, you know, they have one guy on staff that can like take a look at the car and fix something major or more like hide something major. You know, if there's a clink, clink happening, they, I mean, you buy, used cars, it's like, it's a huge scam, right? So once they sell you that car, it's yours. And unless you buy the warranty, which is in and of itself a huge scam as well, like those warranties they sell you at a used car dealership is a huge scam. It doesn't cover most things you think it's going to end up covering. It's just a way, it's just like every other type of insurance. Whereas if you purchase this car yourself, private party, you know exactly who you're buying it from. So I'll give you like what I did with the credit cards. I was like, here's my like steps or my tips or whatever. I'll try to do that for we this. We call it the alpha here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to do that for this. Like, first of all, the, here, are the, here, are the, here are the negatives, okay? You have to deal with people. You have to deal with like random shitty people that you meet on the internet. <laughs> so out. And it can be so annoying. You know, Steven said he's out. <laughs> yeah, you're probably, you're, you're definitely out. Can you um, think of anything I'm less cut out for, by the way? Um, no, actually, this is, this is definitely one of the worst things you could do for yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody would be like, this, it's uh, $9,000 and it's fine. And they'd look at me and I'd be like, all right, I'll take it. Yeah, your, your UI is not built <laughs> for this kind of interaction. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to be rude and haggle with you. I'll be. Oh, man. Um, that's a good question about taxes. But, you know, first things first, it's like you're dealing with people. People are weird. They're going to give you a hard time. You're generally these days in the U.S. reaching out on Facebook Marketplace. Whoa, Bankless in the house. What up, what? fam? Oh, hey, Bankless. Um, oh, GM. In the chat, I should say. And um, you're, you're checking Facebook Marketplace. I think most of the action is on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, Craigslist and all that kind of stuff is kind of dead. The inventory is low as well. But if you're patient, you will find something good. Next stage is like, who am I buying from? How long have they had it for? First thing I do, I ask for the VIN. In California, I believe, you're required to have a seller, a vehicle history report when you sell the car now. So that's like a Carfax. There's actually a website at the DMV that lists out all the different sites that you can get a, a vehicle history report that is valid. And again, it's required. It's also required for the seller to do a smog within 90 days. So... If you're buying the car from this person, you know it passed smog as well. And if they haven't done smog, you can also now legally require them, hey, before we do this transaction, do the smog, make sure everything's good. So you have these checks in place, and then you get to meet the guy or the girl, and you're like, okay, what kind of a person is this? Like, do you have your, do you have your service records? Like, where did, which shop did you take it to when it had a problem? Do you have the records? The, the, the dealers never have that stuff. They never have anything. They're just like, this is the car. Here it is. So I like that because a lot of the times you can find these gems. Like, you guys remember my last car? Yeah, the Mercedes. Mercedes. I sold that, right? But, like, it was an absolute gem, you know? It was, like, this 2001 SL500 convertible. SL500, bro. Yeah, just saying it is so It makes me feel warm inside. The Mercedes two-door coupe convertible is not family-friendly. Is that what you got rid of Yeah, it's not family-friendly. Rumi's not going to... Mushi was having some, some trouble there, too. But it was just something I always wanted to experience. So I bought it, drove it for a couple of years, and sold it at a profit as well. So that's the, we haven't even gotten to the price part yet, right? Like, the deals you're getting, it's negotiable. So Steven's, of course, out for that reason. 
but I'm way in. I'm like, okay, you get to meet the person. You get to like rub shoulders a little bit. You get to like get to know them. And the next thing you know, it's like you're talking and you're, you're, you're getting to know them. And, you know, but wait, yeah, are, this whole, do you meet the them at the like at a place where they can actually check the car? Yes. So what I do, what was that? What I do is I do what's called a PPI every time I purchase a car. It's called a pre-purchase inspection. So what you do is you kind of get an idea of the car you want. Ideally, you already have a mechanic or you find a mechanic and you hit up the mechanic and you say, hey, can you do a PPI for this BMW tomorrow? He goes, great. Yes, I can. It'll be $100, usually about $100 to $150. You meet the seller at the mechanic. Drive the car. You like the car? Great. Do the PPI. PPI takes an hour. They check everything. Everything. Comprehensive report. Right? How much does that cost? 100 to $150. And you pay for that? Yes. Okay. I tell the seller I will pay for that. Yeah. I'd rather, I have no problem paying $150 for peace of mind when I'm going to buy a car that's, of course, thousands of dollars. And if I have to walk away because there was a huge mechanical issue, no problem. Or huge mechanical issue uncovered. Hey, man, like, you didn't tell Do me. Do you wolf them and, like, walk away regardless <laughs> of what's never, found? <laughs> I've never ran into an issue. I don't use the PPI to negotiate the price. All right. And I tell them, like, don't worry. This is not about me pushing the price down. This is about my peace of mind. I want to know what work is required on this car if I'm going to purchase this car um, or something that might come due soon or whatever it might be. So it gives everybody peace of mind. Now, if something major was wrong with the car... Then I have two options, walk away or go, yo, you got to give me like a thousand bucks off because, you know, whatever, right. depending on what the work is. But then you walk away, full peace of mind. You tell them you bring the title, pink slip, you sign. Here's the cash or a cashier's check and you go home. Are we talking like 10% discount to like a used car on oh a dealership God. or more? Way more. More? So look at the other way. I, here's how I price the car. How I know I'm getting a good deal. So you go to Kelly Blue Book. You say, what's my car's value? Yeah. You go through that process with the VIN that you got. I also like to use a site called vincheck.info, which is a free version of one of those vehicle history reports, like a Carfax. It gives you most things. Did this car get in an accident? Um, is it salvage? Of course, you want to make sure you watch out for that. And, you know, all these other checks. How many owners has it had? So you use Vincheck info and um, Kelly Blue Book. You find the value at the good level for Kelly Blue Book with the VIN now, and you click on private party, not trade-in value, private party value. So you're looking to be at around what the average private party value is for good for that car. Knowing that if you want to sell this car in the future, you're probably gonna get the shitty trade-in value. Yeah, Trade-in value is always lower. It's always way lower. So if you wanna sell your own car, what do most people do? They walk into a dealer, they go, what will you give me? Or they go to Carfax. I like to use Carvana and Shift because they're paying oh, more. Yeah. They're negative EBITDA. I love these selling cars to them. Yeah. 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 And they're trying <laughs> that's to that's how you know they're giving you yeah, a good that's price. They're you trying know. to beat um, Carfax. So selling the car, um, I don't sell private party because for 5% less, I can sell to one of these automated just come pick up the car guys and I don't have to deal with people yeah, sounds, on the oh, selling that side. That sounds great. Because the selling side sucks, yeah. right? The buying side, at least I'm a little more in control. The selling side, you have to deal with 
the worst. Right. The worst of the worst. So you lose about 5% because Shift and Carvana and, and, and a couple others, if you look them up, you just compare the rates, right? You type in the VIN, I'm ready to sell my car, which, by the way, this is also selling your car alfalfa. That's the way you should sell. And if you happen to be in Southern California, there's one called Car Trackers that gives really good prices. So I'm trying to be at a price that's close to that private party good value. And I also, if I really, like I usually will also go check how much I can sell it for. And if I can sell it for close to what I'm buying it for or more, uh, then I buy it. I think that's a good deal. So that's how I look at and evaluate pricing in general. I've also um, heard um, if you got a buddy who's got a dealer's license, they can check the auction numbers. And like if you're looking to buy a car, that getting as close to the auction price is like the floor mm-hmm. price for that car. That's a good little, you know, if you have that resource to use it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, the savings versus walking into a dealer. So, you know, obviously not financial advice and don't do anything we ever tell you to do, but like, when you buy that car private party and you take it to the DMV, they'll ask you how much you bought it for. So, you know. What, you, you go lower? No, I didn't say to do that. Okay, but if you do go lower, <laughs> what's the benefit? That's the tax you're paying on it. Oh. So you can save a lot on taxes based on the price that you buy it of for. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Right. Of course. So that's a lot. <laughs> like, a lot. And... Wink, when you wink. go into that dealership, you're paying not the private party price. You're paying like probably 25% on top. I mean, minimum 25% on top, maybe 30% plus the taxes, plus everything else that they might try to sell to you, plus all the shit that's going to go wrong with it that you don't know about because you didn't get to do a PPI. So, Eric, how old is your car you're driving? I think uh, I'm up there. I'm- I think my car is old enough to vote. I don't know if it's old enough to drink yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mine's uh, 13. Yours is what? 20? Probably 20. I think that's the real alfalfa. Buy your car and just fucking oh, I love drive on it forever. as long as possible. I drove my one before until I drove it in for a, like a tune-up to the dealership, and it didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> your opportunity cost is ETH. So. And then the guy there just sold me like a free car, and it was great. Anyway. I won't, boys. I won't harp on Thank that. you, Armand. Yeah, yeah. A great. lot of people worry about, like, I don't know how to evaluate the car. I don't want to deal with this or that. It's all really easy. It's one of those things, like, you do one time. If you don't know what to do, talk to ChatGPT. Have I it walk I, the you PPI through the process. part I made bigger in my head. Just meet oh, me at yeah. the dealership. Meet me at the or, dealership. Or the, at the, the mechanic. mechanic. Cool. Can, can I just say felt so authoritative having you tell me that like i believed every word let me you ask said. you something if i had said it like this it would have quadrupled yeah my, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i would have been like wow gold chains and yeah. unbuttoned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you i wish you had buttons i'll give you a card by three o'clock <laughs> <laughs> this was, i don't know if matt wants me to say this in an accent but i see it in quotes so this card was gifted to me mr dmv <laughs> 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 Listen, the price, the price is zero. My uncle says no price. <laughs> your treat, my son. <laughs> oh, God, I, don't I wish know why, I was Persian sometimes. Mr. DMV, it just Mr. DMV wanted to come out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, uh, let's keep on the money topic. I want to talk a little about the markets because, um, you know, we've seen a little dip in the, in the stonks market. We've also seen a little dip in the crypto Not markets. today, brother. Not today. So, Nvidia, we had a nice little pump today, and then Nvidia reported earnings. They 
crushed their earnings Double and then pump. raised forecasts. So bull market continue now? Can we just... Yeah, did you see the PMIs this morning? No, what was that? Uh, I was short when the PMIs came out. By the way, don't ever put on a position before the economic data comes out. That's, That's a like red a, folder. Okay, but they usually come out at 8.30 New York, and I just I didn't look at it, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> and then I checked it, and it said like 10 o'clock, and I was like, oh, fuck. And then <laughs> one minute later, just green candle like straight up my butt. Uh, the, I thought that green candle was going to reverse. It did not no. reverse. Well, the PMIs came in, they came in cold. Which I guess translates to economy slowing, which means Jerome is not going to light us on fire. Yeah, this so week. just for everyone, it's a purchase like purchasers manufacturer man manufacturers index. index. Yeah. It's like a good signal of a broader business cycle. So you know, are we are we getting more purchases for things or less? I think uh, the index is zero to hundred. So like above fifty is usually good. Growing below fifty, not good. Yeah. And because we live in upside down client world, like bad data is good for asset prices because it means no more rate hikes, maybe rate cuts because we live in a bit of a manipulated. Yeah. Financial Eric, I want to know where your head's at. I know uh, Steven's got some charts that we're going to we're going to play chart DJ with. So, yeah, I want to I want to look at these charts because what I what I care about are primarily two things. The price of ETH and the price of Coinbase right now. OK. So, Stephen, I hope you have... Uh, I've got you covered on one of those. Yeah, okay, great. Um, and what I'm looking for there is, like, right now, we had a pullback, you know, not today, but, like, broadly, there's, like, a pullback over the last week or so. So I started, I started implementing that strategy that I described, um, you know, a couple months ago where I was, like, T-bills, but then when the T-bills, um, they'll just make income, but when I'm ready to, like, reallocate that into growth, I will. I did that, did that over the past few days, like, putting into ETH, putting into Coinbase. That was my first foray into that move. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I'm looking at particularly the Coinbase chart, and I, I can't wait for you to show us, but like, I'm thinking that there might be some room a little lower or I can get a little greedier, but you know, I, I thought now is a good time to like deploy. I've been, um, I think like four or five episodes ago, we talked about, you know, assign your probability of like up only from here, down lower, nuke, and then uh, allocate your portfolio accordingly. So like I was thinking like 20, 25%, maybe 30% up only from here. So I put, uh, over the last like four weeks, put 20% of the cash to work, uh, mainly just ETH and a little bit of Coinbase. So like I'm somewhat in the market. Um, one of the things that keeps, uh, coming up in my head is that, uh, we all know that liquidity over a long time horizon, like you know, kind of moves the market up or down. And I keep going back to like, when would the Fed inject liquidity? Or when would like global liquidity really start to rise and where you start to get a really big bull run? And I keep coming to the conclusion that they would only do it if there's something wrong. Something severe. Something wrong. Um, and in case something's wrong, price <laughs> would go down. So like, I'm kind of stuck in this thought loop and I kind of want to break out of it because I, I might be too narrow-minded in this. There is like a little sliver of hope in the soft landing scenario where like, you know, instead of something bad happening, we just realize that real interest rates are too high. It's too restrictive. And they just kind of bump it down like half a percentage point, a percentage point, And they kind of like really thread the needle here. But I don't know. You, you, you're in kind of the bull case. You're, you've been buying for quite a long time. Can you help me out of my thought loop of... We need liquidity to, for prices to really 
start to move. Yeah. And we need something bad to happen. I'm also on Team Nick, so please help me out, yeah. too. I mean, I haven't bought stocks this year. I missed that train. But I bought a lot of ETH in January, <laughs> and then I was very vocally buying a lot more ETH after the USDC Coinbase crash in the spring. And I actually bought ETH again the other day at 1700 which I thought was a good price, but it went lower. But I, I think it's still a good price, and I've really yeah. been... Putting my ass on the line on Twitter. Uh, seem to be the only person bullish. Try <laughs> to sell your uh, friend tech shares. Yeah, now? maybe. Okay. I'm gonna look really dumb if this just crashes from no, here. No, didn't you know a guy's wallet um, on my phone? Yeah. So, my, my generalized thesis is that like we went max panic porn last year, and we were pricing in just the death of the world. So far. And <laughs> the idea that like the Fed has to cut like in order for everything to go up isn't true in my opinion like all that has to happen is they just have to not raise anymore or maybe cut like micro amounts you know like a quarter point here a quarter point there and then the economy doesn't crash and i think if that happens like this has happened historically in the past where before you have like an absolute nuke in the markets you have this sort of mega run-up period right about when the fed pauses you get this like temporary kind of goldilocks thing where everything looks fine and the fed takes their foot off the brakes and the market's like woo and then something happens and then it all comes tumbling down um the thing that i i think you're not rating properly is just like how much money the government's printing i think fiscal is so much more important than um than monetary right now fiscal being like the politicians are just spending inflation reduction acts, the infrastructure bill, totally. like the writing, the writings on the wall, like the, the dollar and all fiat currencies, I think in general are just sort of dead. I mean, you're, you're right. We are running like a, some like a two Sigma in terms of like a uh, fiscal deficit. So we're, I mean, they're just spending money, Sigma. but what needs to happen in order to fund that is they have to issue a lot of debt. Right. And that sucks liquidity out of the system. So does that square with you or negligible in your calculation? No, not really. I'm like, I'm like really left curving this right now. Like I, I, I was really analytical about all this shit like nine months ago and now I'm not anymore. I think that like if you zoom way out on everything as well, and this is true of the, the dollar as well. Like if you zoom way out, you're like, oh, this is a gigantic fucking uptrend. And like that, what you thought was a bubble last year actually doesn't really look like that much of a, a bubble if you zoom out far enough. And I, I, like I said, I just think the writing's on the wall with, with fiat and the gov the, our government officials are going to do a particular thing. It's very obvious what they're going to do. Nobody's going to take any hard medicine. We're just going to print. There's an election year next year, which we feel like people aren't talking about enough. Like, I don't think Powell's going to drive Score. everything into the ground, you know? So. I hope you're right, bud. I hope you're right, but I, I do feel like the guillotine is still just hovering over our heads, and I don't know when that thing's going to yeah, drop. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the, the, the federal government spending more money. I just keep thinking about them issuing more debt, and they've been issuing T-bills. The federal like, government, have to the, issue the government issuing debt is, like, it, it's just, like, mega bullish. Like, there's, like, 5% interest rates, and they're just paying rich people massive amounts of, like, interest payments, right? Those interest people just take that interest, and they just buy more stocks with it, right? Like, it, the government spending... I think, like, we can say over the last year, like, high interest rates are stimulative in particular kinds but of environments. I, I find it hard to subscribe to that argument when, like, the reason that we had a pullback in the stock market is because rates reached such a high level that there is an alternative. And not only is it a, you know, in the past, like, um, 
let's call it 13 years, when you bought a bond, you were actually negative real rates because yeah. inflation was higher than the yield that you were getting. What was that acronym? Because it was T-I-N-A before. There is no alternative, but yeah. then the, the, it there switched to... There is an Terra? Terra? There is... A reasonable alternative. Reasonable alternative. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the reason we've had a pullback because because those rates go up, you, you know, DCF the stocks and you're like, well, they're they're rated lower. The, the multiples get re-rated. And now there is a real return on on those on those bonds. Now that inflation's call it like three percent. They're yielding five percent. There's a two percent real yield. And you've seen in, in the past, like when real yields spike up, you know, it's a good reason for a lot of investors to not go further out in the risk curve. Yeah, particularly the ones that you're talking about who are these rich people. Like, why invest in stonks and, and put your money to any risk when you can just sit the same reason you The same percent. reason you buy, like, 11% bonds in, like, emerging market... Or you don't buy 11% bonds in emerging market currencies and you buy the stock market instead, right? Because, like, the long term, that 11% is just going to eat you alive because inflation is going to be more than that. And you need, like, a higher return on your capital to, to stay ahead of that. I'm so not used to you thinking very long term. Usually you're trading much tighter time ranges. So this yeah, is Yeah, and like I like honestly like all of this stuff to me now is like I don't feel like I have any edge here, quite frankly. I feel like there was maybe an edge when the tide was really turning and people were like super unprepared for what was gonna happen. Everybody's been watching this shit for like a year and a half now, like a hawk and doomering it and like i think if anything people are still like underexposed to the upside at this point it's like the most watched crash in the history of the freaking planet you know like we had this conversation in a year ago actually and i mistimed it by like a month unfortunately and i got out of all my longs and i ended up being right but just like two months later so i was wrong no you were <laughs> wrong you were you were like way or i think you were like six months early to that no i was i was i was positioned in september and then i like i puked and then like october was basically the bottom so hold on I, I actually remember you saying something like this like imagine how much pain there would be if we like come off these bottom off, off these lows actually run up towards new highs and then rug pull everybody again and let, that's what i'm really worried about is that like that second rug yeah i'm worried about that too but i want to like I want to buy, you know, right. I want to buy on the way up to like S&P so 6,000 like or whatever. When you know? Nick says like, oh, you're thinking so long term, like, I don't think you are. I actually think that you're thinking of, about this as more of like a swing because like right now this is just like a good upturn to trade. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I, I am thinking long term, but I'm mostly thinking just next few months. Do you, you want to just you want to talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. Let's, here, uh, let's you want to pull up some charts? Yeah, I'm going to play let's, Jordan let's here for a second. DJ. So can, yeah. So what are you showing us, dude? So this is like the best and worst chart. I think right now. Well, not maybe the best and worst. Well, depending on which chart you look at. Um, but this is we're, we're looking at the dollar, the DXY, the dollar index. Um, so if the, we've got like a year chart pulled up right now. Right. And Eric, like you trade a little bit. Right. Like if you look at the one year chart for the dollar, like what, what, what do you see? You see. So, I mean, it, it's trending lower, but we're at a, like a local high. Yeah, you see a downtrend. Yeah. You see very nasty displacement to the downside, like very nasty down moves. Accumulation moves back up to lower highs. Nasty move down again. Like this looks like a chart that if you were to trade it on the five minute time, right? Like you would be shorting this. You would, yeah. you mean you would have shorted it a few months ago, right? So when I think on like in these one year increments, like we're looking at multi decades, right? This is where like my long view is coming in. Like 
this thing is going down. So yeah, so when the dollar is high, like it's showing here, that that would be like restrictive for risk assets. If the dollar were to go down, that would that would like allow stonks. And yeah, crypto Bitcoin to pump. is an inverse dollar trade. Yeah, like for sure. Like if you chart Bitcoin versus the dollar, when the dollar goes up, Bitcoin goes down. When the dollar goes down, Bitcoin goes up. All this stuff about the halvening and everything, I think it's complete fucking bullshit. I think the dollar hmm. cycle tends to coincide with that. Coincidentally, I put zero stock in that. I think it's a complete meme. Wow. I, I think it's all about the dollar. That's a hot take. So when I'm trading crypto yeah, over long level. time horizons, I'm really looking at the dollar, right? And I see reason to be very bullish and very bearish depending on how you look at it, right? So another thing that's interesting about this this chart, if you if you are, are able to see it, is um this this candle has like a big spike and then a huge wick, right? So we 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 moved up very sharply and now we've gone back down. And and when we we're trading, this this is called a swing fail pattern. Like we actually went way above the 2017 high and then we came all the way back down and closed underneath it. So when you have a candle that like spikes way above like a very important level, but then it retraces all the way back below it and can't sustain above it. So a swing fail, that's typically very, very bearish. Like so that tells, usually, you, that tells you that it's not a reversal of the trend, like the trend is going to continue downward? or well, that, This is a reversal, right? We went up, but this is like a huge reversal pattern. Oh, I'm just thinking, I'm looking at long term, this is like a downtrend, and it's going to be continuing. I'm talking just about the move last year. We saw okay. this huge dollar spike last year. Yeah, yeah. We, we ran the 2017 high, everybody got crazy. We actually came all the way back down, and we're underneath it now. And if you were trading this on like the one minute chart, you would be biased to that candle going all the way back down to the lows, which if I'm not mistaken, or what are the what's the low on that? Like 88 cents? Like I think the dollar is going like sub 90 cents at some point. And that is going to be just mega bullish, in my opinion, not financial advice for crypto and other risk assets. If you zoom into this on like a monthly chart, here's where things get like really interesting. So earlier this year, we had this massive kind of displacement move down. That's typically a signal that like this trend is exhausted and it wants to go the other way and it's looking to go lower, right? And go lower it did. But recently, we talked about like a swing failure pattern. We had one of these on the downside just a couple weeks ago. And this is the thing that has me worried. So we traded into this like, like value gap on the downside here all the way down into it, price all the way back up inside. So this is what, hap what happened, you know, in, but in reverse now. So although I think this chart is going lower and we're all going to make it, like from a technical perspective, you would actually expect this to be biased to going back up into that zone we broke from earlier this year. And if we trade back to 105, 106, 107 on the dollar, that's going to be really really ugly Could so i am yeah so i'm watching this chart like a hawk right now and if you go to like the weekly chart like this is like a little bit in the weeds so i'm just gonna like kind of glance over it but when i look at the weekly chart like it doesn't look like something to me that's just retesting is going to go down lower for another leg like it looks like it does actually have some strength going higher now this doesn't mean that crypto is going to tank just because the dollar is going up but we have we have had interesting moments in the past where the dollar, like 2021, for example, like late 2021, you had weeks, I think months even, where the dollar was rallying and Bitcoin was still going up. There was a divergence. And like there were savvy people who spotted that and were like, whoa, dollar is going up a lot. Bitcoin's still going up. This isn't 
this isn't good. And a lot of people were like, no, it's different this time. Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin did care. So what I would watch out for is like a rally for Bitcoin, like Bitcoin to the mid 30,000s, ETH to the mid 2000s. If dollar starts going up towards that zone and like crypto is up there, like like I don't think ETH has value at 2300, 2400 bucks if the dollar is rallying. So so, so your squiggles here um, show the dollar moving higher through like the end of 20 through the end of this year. The timing is not specific in the scribble. This is just sort of where I'm biased to movement. Like price seeks liquidity. I think it took liquidity from the downside. It's now going to move to the upside. The upside in the dollar is bearish for risk assets. You don't want to be owning risk assets while the dollar's moving up. So like, although I am kind of long-term bullish, like I have this thesis that like, I do think we are probably going to melt up to an extent. The timing on that's like fuzzy, and I do see this potential roadblock. So this is what I am watching, and this is what would cause me to jettison basically like all of my risk positions. Imagine, kind of imagine away. if that like the move up in the dollar uh, toward like as we continue on weeks here, like yeah. imagine if that coincided with like other narratives too. Like imagine they delay or deny an ETF. Yeah, approval we could have a like, real. Or, or it could go the other way where the dollar is breaking up, but they release the ETF yeah. and it actually gives you a chance to get, get out of Dodge right. while everybody's like going euphoric and the dollar is rising. Yeah. So the last chart I had on here was like, this is like, I'm biased towards like a retrace on the dollar in the short term. So if you wanted to kind of get out of Dodge, I think you actually, over the next week or two or three, you, if you think that this thesis is correct, or you're not bullish on crypto like me, this could give you like a rally back up to the 18s in ETH or something. And you could hedge here. And I think it's kind of a smart spot to hedge because if the dollar bounces there, that that could be game over. What other charts do you have? Okay, one more chart. Let's do one more chart. Just just uh just for the for the lulls. Um this is a super simple one. I was just looking at the so I've been tweeting about how I think the Coinbase chart is like the most yes, give obvious us buy ever right now. Like and this is like a really like I don't have any fair value gaps or order blocks or any nonsense on here. I think most people who trade a little bit are familiar with the head and shoulders pattern. You familiar with that? A bearish yeah, pattern. Yeah, just describe it though. A bullish pattern is the inverse head and shoulders. So the head and shoulders you typically have like a you have a you have a hump, you have a higher hump, and then you have a lower hump. It looks like a head and two shoulders. That's yeah. That's, like, bearish. That's, that's everybody's favorite bearish chart pattern, yeah. right? So an inverse head and shoulders is like a dip, a lower dip, another dip back to the same height as the previous dip and not lower. And then when you break back above the neckline, that's like a that's like go time. So right? here you're you're describing an inverse head and shoulders, if I'm seeing this correctly. Yeah, this is an inverse head and shoulders. This is a bottoming pattern. It's kind of easy to look at, right? And another added point of so we've busted way out of that we had a huge impulse on high volume right so it's definitely a breakout yep well nothing's definite in this so don't take that to the bank please um but not only do we have that breakout and not only are we retesting the sort of neckline of the head and shoulders but the neckline what is that is that a yearly mid-range on there on the chart nick the the line the horizontal line the horizontal line yeah so when you look at like yearly candles, they're very significant. They're high time frame levels. Like the mid range on a yearly chart should be a great point of support. So you have this confluence with like a yearly mid range, a breakout of the 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 head and shoulder, the inverse head and shoulders. We have like a fifty 
50, 60 percent. I think we had like a 60 or 65 percent retrace from the bottom, which is also a great level. So I see like this whole confluence of factors, meaning it's like a pretty good time to accumulate. I I hadn't bought any since like that that tweet near the bottom, and I I bought some more. Yesterday. So hold on, like actually, I I do have one more question about that chart, if you don't mind. Um, mm -hmm. So you have that that yearly mid range, which I like that you put that there, and we're like sort of touching on it, and you can kind of see that that price is responding to that. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is like we had that that steep run up recently. That looks to me like there's a lot of fair value gaps within that. That um, you know it would probably want to run those. Like I think it would be it'd be seem reasonable yeah right there as as nick's highlighting it seems like that would be sort of ripe to like have price just run through that too and and like that wouldn't really invalidate this like yearly uh, average range either like it's just i think price probably goes down to the 60s that, uh, th this is getting a little in the weeds but it's not a given that when you have a breakout that you go back and fill all of your gaps like there's a concept called a breakaway gap where price breaks out, creates like a gap in value, and then never comes back and gives you an entry because it's so strong. Like Bitcoin does this a lot, right? It kind of goes up and it never retraces. It, it pumps, consolidates, pumps, cons and you're just like kind of left on the sideline. So, so that can happen. <clears throat> I'm glad you showed that because I'm looking to get much longer coin stonk. Like I own the spot or I own the common, um, but... You know, I think all four of us were looking at um, the options, like call options, leap calls. Oh, yeah. Uh, this we were week. talking uh, before the episode. We were looking at uh, the furthest leap, which is December 2025. We were looking at like 100-ish strike price, $30 option-ish. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about leaps in general for... Yeah, I'm thinking about buying leaps, actually. I think there's good value in them. And I, I look, I, I think if... Coinbase executes and crypto doesn't die. Like, I don't see any reason why this thing can't go over like a thousand bucks, right? So if you buy a leap, like you're, you're going to do pretty well, even though they are expensive. So Nick, go through your quick and dirty math on buying the common versus buying the leap calls. Yeah, so we, we just like, I don't know, did like a little options profit and loss calculator. And um, on that specific option, the December 2025 uh, 100 strike price, if uh, Coinbase gets to 500, possible, right? You're up uh, a 7x uh, from the current prices. So On the say, common stock. Yeah, you put in 50 grand. You know, you're at 350k. On, on you're that, not about it. Yeah, not bad. Um, on that option, you know, halfway through the the expiration, you know, it's all mid 2024. If you hit that 500 price, that is now worth close to a million versus. 350. So obviously there's leverage involved. And at that point, it might even make sense to like actually exercise the option. And it might be a better play than just selling the option off. But uh, anyway, I was just curious, like how much more juice does this squeeze by going option over uh, common? Because I don't know, I probably have like a, a higher fail rate when it comes to options than a success rate you know, when I just buy common Everybody stock. does. That's yeah. why I always sell them. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking the same... The same uh, line of thought, though, but I was thinking I want to sell the 35 strike put in order to fund the 100 strike call. Uh, and maybe I, I'd even put more money on the call, but like the, the 35 strike put is, is, uh, would pay you 10 bucks per, and then you pay 30 for the, 
for the hundred strike. I like that. So it cuts your effective price of the of the call option to twenty bucks, let's say. Yeah. Because you're in ten bucks off selling the, the thirty dollar put. And if Coinbase does get back to thirty five dollars, you're probably glad. And that to allows buy it. you to either buy more of the calls or pay less on the calls. Right. So and I think if we're looking at buying this thing at seventy five, we'd all be happy buying it at thirty. Yeah, let's um so let's continue on in some like rough math because uh um Coinbase has a new revenue stream in the last month and yeah I've been Frentech I've been I've this. been building I've been building a uh, November options position actually oh you have oh, wait November of this November year? of this like this quarter I'm kind of playing like a an options like a like an earnings upside surprise kind of like a combination of like I I think that Wall Street is underpricing some of this stuff from a fundamentals perspective but mostly just like. I really like the chart and I like this kind of confluence of stuff like I because I, I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish on base and pretty bullish on on Frentech, which I think we're going to talk about now, which is in just a second, the hottest thing in crypto. At I the do want to talk about yeah. the, the base fees as a yes. like, when do we think this will impact it? I'm curious. This is part of your quarterly thing. So I did some rough math last seven days. Uh, base has earned close to a million dollars in fees. It's most likely because of Frentech, But let's assume that stays over a quarter, you know, and I think Coinbase keeps 85% of those fees. So that's going to generate them about $10 million of revenue in the quarter. They do something like, I don't know, 600 million ish. Not just quarter. revenue, but like pure profit, right? I don't know. I mean, they have like a significant team that is, they have OPEX associated to this. I don't know if it's pure profit, but, but yeah, maybe gross margin. It's profit. highly accretive. I agree. I agree with both you guys. High margin profit. High margin, but profit. I, extremely but high margin. What I'm thinking more, more likely is that, what you'd find is that trading uh, activity is going down. So like earnings will, will come in low, but they'll have this little like kicker that we know about, but I don't think wall street knows how to price that in effectively on the long term. Like, yeah, but I mean, is, is $10 million going to move the needle on a $600 million a quarter revenue company? Or I don't think it not? is. I think they'll look at the, they'll just look at the top line. It is because it's, you're, you're calling it revenue, but it's more than revenue. It's very high margin profit in a business that doesn't make any money. Right. Like, aren't there, Maybe like they I, like just squeezed out barely yeah, they, last they, quarter, they but surprised like, the upside and only lost like I don't know millions of dollars or okay. tens of millions. Yeah, of more. so yeah. they don't. Yeah, I. And I, I, I think that when people, there's like, when we get these bubbles, right? Everybody ignores it, and then there's like an aha moment, and then people go crazy, and then they way over project what's going to happen. So I think at some point. There's going to be an aha moment on base. People are going to say something like, wow, if literally one app can do this and juice the earnings by this much, what's going to happen 10 years from now when there's a thousand of these apps, right? Like you want to get in before everybody starts going like full R word <laughs> on stuff, right? You don't want redacted. to be, you want to be, yeah, you want full redacted on everything. You want to be in, in the middle of that being like, oh, I'm trying to buy NVIDIA and God, I said NVIDIA, NVIDIA at $500, you know, you should have bought it earlier. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with your, your long term thesis. I just don't think that uh, the next quarter is going to be the one that like is the one where people realize the earnings power of base chain. All right. So is next we quarter get into it? Yeah, let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. So, um, Friend Tech gonna bring in the normies. Should we give a quick first? We gotta give a quick 
It just started, I know, but okay. we got to rebrand it. Wait, wait, terrible should we, name. Should we should we give like a quick overview of what the heck Marty. this is first? Hold on, yeah, say yeah, what Frentech is. Should. Who wants to lead into what Frentech is? The two minute, the one minute version. I think most people listening probably know of it, but maybe. No, I bet you most people. Have All right, no, no, and like the, like Frentech is the hottest new crypto app, and that's kind of doing it a disservice. Like its growth has been insane for like a crypto app, you know, because most crypto apps suck it's like saying it's an uh, aws app. yeah it's but like a it's a terrible sales with pitch how quiet it is that's saying a lot like, yeah it isn't saying a lot i i, I well, let's talk about what it is it's it's basically twitter but not really it's basically a private chat that's connected to your twitter and but the ki the kicker to it is that people can buy shares of you to get into that yeah, this is what's unique private chat right so this launched in a bunch of Twitter celebs kind of opened up a friend tech account and their followers immediately started speculating on their shares. Buying right? their shares. And we, we ever thought like, oh, what's a share of Kobe worth, right? Turns out a share of Kobe is worth like a lot of money. Kobe may be the most popular crypto influencer, but there, uh, I don't know if you guys know a trader named Ansem, right? Very few people probably know who Ansem is. I don't, I don't know if he's got like 100,000 followers or 50,000 or whatever. He's made 40 ETH in trading fees in the last five days, yeah, each so of they got hundred thousand dollars. Each of Ansem's uh, shares are worth one point five ETH right now. One point so five ETH let's per share. Let's clarify how he's making money. So when you buy a share, ten percent of that goes to a pool. Half of that pool goes to Frentech. Half of that pool goes to the uh, person of the shares that you're trading. So whether you're buying or selling, that person gets five percent. So you can get 5% of, or Stephen will get earn 5% to $10 when you buy his share on, on Frentech. And as you buy more, as people buy more, there is a curve. So, you know, at, uh, let's call it four holders. Call this a bonding curve, it's right? It's a bonding curve, right, exactly. So maybe the price is 10 bucks at four holders. But if you get up to like 60 holders, the, the price of the shares could be something like, I don't know, a uh, thousand bucks, let's call it. And it's a pretty steep bonding curve. And maybe this is one of my first beefs with it, is that you know, if you want millions of people using this app, if 100 holders cost someone $2,000 to buy the incremental share, maybe it's not a good curve to, to let everyone play. I went to go buy some of our friends. I think Kaufman was going to cost me like $800, $900. <laughs> And uh, I only bridged over 500 to tinker around. <laughs> Wait, did you, did you see the chat? No, what's the chat? Oh, no, our text chat. No. Hoffman just messaged us. Yeah, he's he buy, he's buying up all my shares. I thought you guys saw bought this. like 10 shares of me. Oh, he bought 10 shares? He's cornering the market. Okay. I just launched I just launched this friend tech account. Um I don't want to promise any of you financial gain, David, by the I way. Might but dump on you. Sorry. Da David is <laughs> David is going to dump on everybody. Apparently, David's buying up I all my shares right trade. now. Son of a bitch. So Adam <laughs> Snyder just bought some. Adam Snyder's in the chat. Yeah. I mean, they're really cheap in the beginning. They're like two dollars for like the first but this is share. A, so this is a really cool example to to explore through because how does this play out? And like when I'm buying a share of you, what does that fucking mean? I'm playing the skeptical person right now. No, it's good to play the skeptic because everything in crypto is a scam. Let's just call it like it is. And I don't mean everything. I mean 99% of things. And 1% is really, really great. But that's just the way it is. So 
this has been fascinating to me because I've seen like really good takes on the bull and bear side about this. And, and I think both of the takes are correct. This is both kind of a scam, but also it's tapped into something. And I think this will 100% be a thing. I'm not convinced if Frentech is the final iteration of that thing. But like, I think this is a thing. I've actually long believed this will be a thing. Um, somebody in the chat actually commented. This will be a thing. We're specifically speaking to the piece of ownership of I'm talking humans. about the financialization of humans. Yeah, you're yeah. Talking, that's, what you, that's yeah. what you like about now, it. Now, I'm not saying it will be a good thing. I think it will probably mostly be a bad thing, but it'll be one of those things that humanity just can't help but doing. I think it's doing. an unquestionably bad thing. It's a terrifying thing. I hate everything about it. Well, Change the name and just don't even do well, it is what I think. I want because I know Stephen, you're bullish, and I want to hear that bull case before we even yeah. start poking holes. Let's get the hard bull. But like, I want you to describe why you like this, and and I want you to describe and whether I'm gonna whether you it. like this or you like the idea of this. You know what I'm you know what I'm okay, trying to say. Th th this is a brand new. Though, right? This is a brand no. new tech, right? The first time somebody rolled out a computer. It looked like a piece of shit. And like, what did everybody say? They said, oh, no, even Bill Gates, I think, was like, well, nobody's, you know, nobody's ever going to want one of these. Right. Like it, people have like a hard time seeing past the first prototype and seeing where something <laughs> goes. <laughs> Damn, chat, stop making, them, stop stop making me laugh. <laughs> and I think that. It's easy to look at a new tech and kind of hate on it because you just see it for what it is. And what it is right now, from like a technical perspective, sucks. It's literally just a chat where you message. And the app is slow and barely functions. And you pay hundreds of dollars uh, for the privilege to like participate in this thing. Okay, but imagine yeah, it's don't like... Don't you have to do something called bridging? No, yeah. you don't. It takes care of it for you. Thank God. Like to to like even participate in this at all, you have to be like kind of crypto native. Imagine you have explaining to have like, that to you somebody. You have to have ETH. Like anyway, but like, this is like this is like you guys like describing people buying something on the internet in like 2001. Part I agree. We're gonna evolve. This is another iteration. There was that previous one that raised hundred over a hundred million dollars. What was that? BitCloud? They rebranded But then they rebranded. But BitCloud was obviously dumb from the get-go. And everybody called it out as being dumb, and it but, ended up as being dumb, and it failed. But the part you like about Frentech is what they pioneered. Well, like, Magic Taxi pioneered what Uber did, and nobody uses Magic Taxi. But anymore. you like that part of it, right? I think that the, well... You like the financialization of humans. No, I don't I don't <laughs> like the financialization of humans from a moralistic perspective. You want to buy me. But it do, doesn't it feel Cheap. inevitable to you? It, yes, it feels like so... From the moment we put the like button on Facebook and we put follower counts on, what we've yeah. been trying to do is, is describe some sort of value to ourselves online. Yes, so this and, is just a... A more direct yes, version. Yes, what is of the that? ultimate assignment so of value? It is a price assigned by the but market. What, if I'm not mistaken, what you like about it is that now the creator has something real to gain, something substantial to gain, and it feels more fair to you. Uh, there's, the a, there's a couple things. Because like, you're buying there's me anyway. Like, like the, the actual creator is still um, sort of susceptible to and at the mercy of the same shit. Like, Getting likes is the same as buying my key. Like it yeah. is the same problem, the same addiction all over again in a different version. But how is that different than like setting up a Patreon and saying like support my channel? 
for one thing, you can't invest in somebody in a Patreon. Like Patreon there's doesn't no upside. Like no long term uh, ownership. There's no long. There's no speculation in Patreon, yeah. right? You can't so be rewarded for humans you, get to gamble. Yeah, like people want to be like, I found this. I found the next Mr. Beast before he was Mr. Beast. And that's what Deso Bitclout was 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 the excitement. Yeah, was, but right? their execution was dog shit. It was terrible. Okay, and why? Was, yeah. And why do you like this execution better? Like for for one reason, like, like Bitcoin. Why was, were you not so excited about them? It was an ob- really? it was an obvious VC cash grab with the way they did it. They just gave everybody shares. They gave everybody an account, no matter what they asked. It was just designed to be dumped. Nobody had any incentive to do anything. It was it was it was a dumpster fire. It was a I don't know if that's true. An I utter agree dumpster with, fire. with the rest, but the incentive to do something when you've raised fifty million dollars, no, 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 the users. Okay, the users. Like right. the platform is nothing without the users. Like every crypto Twitter guy I followed was like, "LOL, thanks for the free money, you VC scam artist." Right. And just I, then they were like, "I'm dumping." Like it, right. it, it made it made no sense. Like this to me is a logical iteration of what already happens in like certain platforms, like OnlyFans, like Patreon. Yeah, can we let's talk about the creator angle from this? So like, yeah, let's like, yeah. let's talk about the good first. Like, imagine yeah. you're a musician, right? One of the most brutal parts about being a musician is like and it's better these days but like in the 90s like you had to have like a producer like walk into some club in la where you were playing and be like you're gonna be a star and that person just made you a star and if you didn't have that you had no distribution right and you had no chance and then we got to the point where stuff like soundcloud and 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 spotify existed right and now now you have distribution but discovery is still a problem once you kind of put this like speculatory, speculative, speculative layer on top of it, you now can solve the discovery problem. Like if people are financially motivated to be like, not only do I love this person, like people already wanted to tell everybody about somebody that they loved and now they can be in early and profit. Like imagine being like, imagine finding a new artist and you and a hundred other people have found this person. You're the only hundred people in the world and you're in this group chat and you guys are like, Oh my God, I can't believe how sick you are. I bought you for a dollar. We all love you. I don't even care about the money, but also your dollar, I'm going to make a thousand X on this. Everybody's going to be promoting that like crazy. There's a built-in incentive to discover people and like people's share prices will go up. Like the marketplace is going to start finding people like that. Now I'm not saying this isn't going to produce a lot of horrible results because it definitely will. But I think that part is very interesting to me. You're inter- it's interesting because like if I see that, my two friends that I trust are buying shares of this in this kind of interactive app. I might be able to discover them too. And you might get the exclusive content like you do in OnlyFans or Patreon. Yeah. But then you also get the upside. I mean, when I look at this, it's really simple for me. I think these things start out as like just absolute bullshit always. But what I think the tech can evolve into is just a better way for the creator economy to reward itself for its efforts. So musicians artists of all types, podcasters, whatever it is you want to do, um, you know, just general like YouTube creator, YouTube vlogger, whatever, like a like a Benjamin Cohen jumping on here in the early days yeah. and saying, you know, su- support me, here's my videos or whatever. Like that's exciting for them and for you. Yeah, and I like You it. like the idea of buying a piece of this person's content. I don't think of it as like if I'm being honest. It's not like you're buying the 
the person. No, it's obviously. a synthetic asset. You're you're buying of that person. You're buying the upside and the work and the impact that you think that they'll create with their brand. Yes. So you're buying a piece of their brand, and the creator economy. Ultimately, what does that mean? It's the creator is the brand. So in a world where like a podcaster or a YouTuber is the person creating the content, and you get to buy a piece of the channel. Imagine you're getting to buy a piece of Benjamin Cohen's YouTube channel. That's the way I look at it. And I think that can be very exciting yeah. on both and, and sides. From of the a creator equation, perspective. On the good side of it. Yeah. Um, and from a creator perspective, you're like, wow, all my earliest supporters are going to get upside. They're kind of financially motivated to promote me. Yes. Where in another situation, you're not. It's just kind of like, you know, like a typical referral is like, hey, you should check I out this podcast. I also love that part. So I hold on, because like this is a show called Alpha Alpha where we like talk about the money aspect of things as well. Like I'm hearing you guys when you talk about this in esoteric fashion, you're talking about the theme of like helping the creator economy. I'm talking about friend.tech. Yeah. Like friend.tech is not going to win in my opinion. Like friend.tech is going to be a flash. All right, you want to know how me. to make money off this thing? Let's talk about that too. Like copy, copy paste well, it and give 25% of the, Look, th like, this I is mean, th this is an evolution why, of NFTs. Why, hold on, why, right? I, I want, I'm on I'm on team you know no friend tech here. So what why why do you think uh, this oh, isn't it? Well, for a slew of reasons. Like first of all, I think like you can have the right idea and you can just be too early, and that's okay, and and that won't win. But like that will sort of help kick the can down the road to the ultimate solution, which is maybe what this is. Um, I think that's fine. I think also what is not compelling about this is like. You know, using Steven's example, like say you're a musician, like you do reward the first hundred users at a low price, but that bonding curve like also eliminates any other users. Like at this at this price point, like you can't buy in to uh, Steven Cesaro musician who we like after the hundredth user because it's like now it's a thousand dollars. Like nobody can buy that. Right. So like this, the, the bonding curve is an elimination for me. From the outset, I think that the creator mm. should be able to set their own price instead of having a bonding curve. Okay, you got, you, you, you got, you're looking at this too narrowly. First off, like it's like literally, I don't even know if it's a beta. It's basically like an alpha product, right? It, it's not hard to imagine like a future iteration where creators are given like more leeway to adjust their number of shares, the exact curve they want to dilute people, to issue more share. Like I'm not so worried about that i think people are too bearish on the bonding like the idea is sort of like oh the bonding curve sucks because like these people buy it for two bucks and then the price goes up a thousand x and then everybody dumps it to zero because right. we look at it through like the nft model where you're like oh now you have a fucking jpeg and it's just a jpeg and you lost everything and you want it you just want to go home and cry right <laughs> <laughs> if taylor swift if taylor swift signs up for this thing and like her shares go to like 20k and people bought it at 100 bucks they're like wow i am dumping and it dumps down 97 percent to like fifteen hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or it's probably like 800 bucks like are people gonna be like oh my god i lost it and everybody leaves and nobody buys it or a bunch of people are gonna sit there and be like wait taylor swift is like giving me tickets and talking to me in the chat for like 800 bucks I'll buy that, and then yeah, people buy that, and the price goes back okay, up. Okay, so what what you've identified there is something that I agree with, which is is not friend.tech. It's like token gated content. I agree yes. with that. I agree with like these these like big themes. Like 
Token gated content, I like. I like the Web2 login. I like that. I like the, yeah. uh, what's it called? The PSA or, or PM. Uh, progressive Web App. Progressive yeah. Web App. I like, I like that to avoid uh, Apple's 30% tax. Like I like some of these things that Friend.Tech utilized, and those can be iterative towards the ultimate outcome, but like this to me doesn't feel like whoa, 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 the whoa, one hold where on, Taylor Swift is going charging 30K per... Do, do we all agree that in this realm of sort of social media apps and everything, like the the magic, the magic formula is like just network effects? Like, yes, how many products generally. do we use that suck, but they just have like enormous network effects, and you you just can't escape the black hole of that? The ability to build a moat, especially in crypto, is probably going to be enormous because nobody else is going to go into the space because it's crypto until it's maybe too late, right? So by the time friend.tech starts getting attacked by like a Facebook or somebody who wants to actually go into the space, like the space is probably so developed and they probably already have like an enormous amount of users. Well, and even if their product like, sucks, they could build new features for you it. You brought up the name Facebook and I think Calcium asked it in the chat. He said like, what happens when Facebook... Facebook uh, would never launch this because like they're going to be like, oh my God, we're going to get sued for issuing securities. Like our FriendTech shares. They, like FriendTech already rebranded shares it? as keys, by the way, because people were like, I'm selling shares of myself. I'm selling shares of myself. Well, I'm giving smart, smart I'm rebrand. giving a percentage of sales of my shares to my fans. And they were like, ah, uh, uh, these are not securities. No, those are keys. <laughs> these are keys. <laughs> right? So you think Facebook wants to touch that? Like, I don't, I don't think so. By the time they do, it'll be like a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. With like much more clarity, I think. I mean, the title of our of our episode is like, "Is this the app that takes crypto mainstream?" Do you guys believe that this is the this is the app that's going to take crypto I, mainstream? I think you're going to see like a crazy. I think I'm an incentives guy, right? I'm very Charlie Munger in this, right? The incentives I see are I see random Twitter influencers making a hundred thousand dollars in five days. With like sixty or seventy thousand, you think that like people with millions of followers aren't going to look at that and be like, "Wait a minute, how much?" Is it's the same. If these people shilled JPEGs that were worthless, this is like a way easier bridge to cross. It's just like, oh, you're interacting with your friend. You're selling like a gated group chat, and they're going to be like, "Why are people paying for that?" And they're like, "Well, they are. Here's the proof. There's here's the millions of dollars people have paid." Like it, it seems like only a matter of time until like a Logan Paul signs yeah. up. So Phase Banks already signed up. Like we're already starting to pull I, in I actual like, celebs. Let me give you a, a very right tail risk and a very left tail risk of the situation. The first one is what you mentioned: a Logan Paul signs up because he needs to find the money to pay oh. off the people he's scammed. <laughs> I don't know his, if he uh, will though. He's NFT. already hurt. He's pretty buried his. on the crypto zoo. He's so already maybe he's a bad yeah, example. Yeah, but let's say someone like that. Like, his brother. Let's call him like a mid-tier influencer okay. with like a mi millions Wait, of followers. Logan Paul should sign up and just donate all of the proceeds of his like token sales until he pays off crypto zoo holders. He'll still make millions after that. It'll generate yeah. people to follow him. Seems like the easiest solution ever. You're I welcome, Logan. The brothers. I don't know. They're You're all welcome. the same to me. I. I just don't think it matters because I don't care. Two core questions here. Yes. Is this the one that brings, uh, is this the app that goes mainstream that comes to the mainstream? And how do you play this? Like this is alfalfa at the end of the day. Like where's the alfalfa for me? Yes. Like I want to know that. Okay. There's three ways to play this. Okay. One. So, so by the don't way, don't say I have to create a profile and sell my soul. No. Okay. Um, thank you. Do you guys remember, do you guys remember the crypto exchange BitMEX? Arthur yes. Hayes' exchange yeah. already exists. Somebody's already built... This is one of the cool things about these open protocols is people can just build stuff on top of them. Somebody built FriendMex, 
which is basically just BitMEX for so you can you can basically trade anybody like you would trade coins already. So because of the way the the bonding curve works, like if you find people kind of early on, like you you can make enormous gains, like kind of like we saw in the NFT world. So that's one way to make money is you can actually hunt and speculate on people who you think are going to kind of blow up and maybe that's a scalp or a long-term can thing. you short on uh friend mex that's a good question actually but it, like it's only a matter of time until there are per- I, I i know somebody's already launched some sort of like very beta perps thing i'll short the world i think it's only a matter of weeks until you can just short people so yeah you have two more things and i want to give the alpha for what friends tech yeah should do the so other play that we talked it. about is going long coinbase because i think i think if if the market has this so, so Frentech like made. This. Okay, I like this one. Frentech made like I eight. I think they made like eight hundred thousand dollars in, in in like profits, basically. You know, high margin revenue yesterday. That's a lot of money for one day. A, a large chunk of that goes to Coinbase. Base has been doing more fees combined than like Arbitrum and Optimism, like kind of blowing them out of the water. So if the market sees this and extrapolates, like, wait a minute, this is one app. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. That could be like a bit of a hockey stick moment. So I think Coinbase is a way to play that. Okay. And, and I think a derivative of that is that this is all built on the optimism stack. I think a lot of this stuff is accretive to the OP token. It's been one of the strongest tokens in crypto. Had a bit of a sell-off today because it hit like a pretty significant technical level. But like that, that's been a very strong token. And that's probably an interesting play. But I think the more direct play is to either just grind the trading of people, which I don't want to do personally, or just buy Coinbase. And one or buy Optimism was your thing. And yeah. one or just buy ETH, because ETH ultimately gets all of this, and you don't have to pick a winner. And one question before that, Nick. Who's behind Frentech? It's a developer called Racer. We don't know if it's a he or she. We don't know. Pseudo-anon. Like, uh, people know who they are, but like they're, just one they're person? anon. No, well, like, apparently a lot of people know them. I, uh, I, I listened to uh, I Van think Paradigm who invested on them, Bankless them yesterday. Yeah. And he, he sounded like uh, there was another team member that he's familiar with. Um, doesn't know where they live. Doesn't know if it's he or she or they or whatever. But, um, you know, that – and he mentions on, on the Bankless podcast that, like, they may not live in the U.S., so they may not care what the regulatory issues are. Now, you as someone sh- selling your shares may may want to care yeah. which which country you reside in. But anyway, yeah, um, apparently they have some notoriety. They've had some filled apps, but they, they, it sounds like from what I heard from him, they seem to go for these consumer-facing apps. Mm. Um, okay. So yeah, let, me, let me give a, an, an alpha take what I think Frentech should do, and then I'll give you the left, the left tail risk for Frentech. Right, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what they should do next as well. I think... They should um, kind of like be the synthetics of perps, which is like an underlying protocol that has like, you know, a million front ends that can hook into it and somehow make some money, charge some fees. So Frentech is not just the interface that you just, you know, went through the onboarding process. Which was awful for yeah awful i i I, I strongly disagree i I thought the onboarding process was pretty good but not still great for for normies um but i think if they kind of like opened up the protocol and let people trade it and let people create financial derivatives off of it create their own front end maybe create something that looks like they already can do that you can do that now 
Dude, the develop, developer Fubar has already he already released a way to like wrap your tokens, and people have like Uniswap LPs of their tokens, like they're farming their own tokens. Yeah, more and, like, like is there an API or something that like I can build a front end that's different than this friend is what this is what FriendMax like like FriendMax is basically like the, you use these assets, right? You're but, talking about but when you buy on FriendMax, does it up the price on FriendTech? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. This is the beauty of crypto, man. So it's all that, open. That is actually pretty interesting, and that's one way you kind of go into the blue ocean of like not a bloody competitor, you know, competing against apps, and you gain that network effect. Is like, cool. You think the UI should be better? Just build it here. Here's users already. Here's the assets already. Here's all the underlying uh, protocol, and build onto it. Add your fees that you want onto it, and uh, hopefully, like there'll be a thousand UIs of this um, if you want. Here's a here's a small left tail risk. Um, uh, a long time ago, maybe like six, seven years ago, I uh, raised money for a product that was very reliant on Apple's iOS system. Very similar to how FriendTech relies on this very quick UI in which you can add to home screen and create, create what your we own, call... Create your own app. Yeah, create your own app. It, it looks like a bookmark, but to the user, it's just like another app, and you kind of bypass the Apple uh, App Store. And, uh, you know, me and the investors, we were very clear on, like, hey, these are the risks. Let's go into it open-eyed. If that happens, iOS makes a small change. We could be out of business, but the profit was worth the risk. So we raised $5 million, took the $5 million from the investors, and three months into scaling users, you know, we noticed in the, uh, like, they, they have, like, a test version of iOS, see what the developers are about to release into the iOS production. We were like, oh, shit they found a fix for this. And so it's very possible, this is left tail risk, that uh, you know, iOS team may go to the Safari team and Absolutely. be like, you don't have to remove this, let's just dump it two or three levels deep in the UI and it makes the onboarding very difficult to make this like an app style feel. Doesn't necessarily mean it goes away, I mean they might persist as a desktop app, but it's something I'm familiar with. They they run in very tight you know cycles yeah. when they when they realize that apps are uh, bypassing the App Store. And if you don't believe that, go read the App Store guidelines, and you'll see some really like specific things in the App Store, and they clearly targeting specific apps. Mm. Um, and so th they're not afraid to to do that. And all mm. it takes, I think, is like enough eyeballs getting on one thing for them to just be like, eh, yeah. no more of this. Because let's be clear, one of but the, the cool app, things about it, this... The app does not hinge upon that. It's a nice right. feature that you're happy people are incorporating but into But they are it. trading crypto on an Apple... Right, but everybody in crypto is already used to not using their phone for everything. It, it's like a bonus. It's a thing that would help mainstream, but it's, it's not going to literally kill the business of it. Right? I think Nick is right. I think totally right. There's no way that's going to survive. Maybe they. I, I I agree with you. I think Apple DWAs, will kill that. These types of apps sure. that don't require app store downloads that generate a lot of revenue will not survive. Yeah, but we're also going to have a battle at some point in the future with the likes of Apple. Like if like something like the Solana phone starts gaining uh, critical Apple's mass. Apple's been having that battle with everyone who even seeks to go outside the app store anyway. So it's just a continuation yeah. of the battle that they already yeah. have. It's a battle they will the lose time. probably at some point, but not for some time. Yeah. I think it'll require the highest court. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ask Epic Games of like if they you can win that battle. Yeah. I'm like, no, they yeah, can't. Exactly. Um, a right. couple things real quick in the chat before we move on. Uh, Viking is saying what you guys are looking for is Noster. Do you guys know what Noster is? No, no. I don't. 
Interesting. No, Noster Noster is like the decentralized social network you guys have uh, talk about oh, that's what a we're lot. We're talking about you before. Can, yeah, it's a big favorite amongst like Bitcoin. To me, like the, like the Noster versus Frentech thing is just it just so well illustrates like what people think that crypto is for versus what people actually use crypto for. Much in the same way that people aren't that interested in decentralization and privacy and possessing their own keys and everything, which is why I'm not like uber bullish on Bitcoin. Sorry. Um, people are not interested in using social media and like just having possession of their data. Like the market shows that people don't give a shit about their data. Uh, Frentech enables speculation and gambling, which is why people like it. It's why everybody's using it. It's why they have like a way, way more users than Nuster does in a matter of days when Nuster has been out for years. Um, sort of the sad reality of humanity. Uh, it is what it is. Um, Max says it's overrated. Idea is not that cool. Yeah. Uh, well, the idea is cool, but the product's not good. Sure, every initial product is bad. Like the first airplane kind of sucked. Airplanes got better. The first computers kind of sucked. Got better. Like if you looked at MySpace and you tried you to envision what, I don't know. what, what like Facebook would come to. Imagine I showed you MySpace, and then I was like, "This is what MySpace is in 15 or 20 years or however." But that would've been like, "Okay, sure." But that actually confirms his point like you're not also bullish on friend tech and i think that's the point is people are not bullish. okay on even if i tech. showed you the original facebook though if i showed you the original facebook you still would have thought that is stupid actually and lame. i thought the original facebook was awesome and i think that's why it blew up the original the facebook right yeah, the facebook <laughs> yeah. was this awesome. is what i'm talking about it was a thing that it didn't have a like button you couldn't do anything on it but, but in spite of it good before in the like spite button. of it people liked life it life was very good i remember when the like remember, button got created by the I way i remember and people -like were button days. losing it Life was good. <laughs> like people, you had to have like a college email address. I didn't care how address. many followers I had. I didn't care how many people didn't like I got. the like button. I actually used to engage with people, and they engaged with me for the sake of like, how's Armon doing? Not for the sake of like, how's this do for the algorithm? There was a time where people did things not in, for in, likes. In, it's like, kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, genuinely. <laughs> yeah, genuinely checked in with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my no. God! Do you guys that remember the poke? The poke yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! The poke the was the flirt, the poke was the yeah. source of so many yeah. awkward stories in college. It was amazing. Oh, the flirt led to some. Oh, the poke. Can we um, can we talk about one last angle and then we can move on? Yeah, I sure. I have one too. Okay, so I want to talk about the financialization of people and maybe in the context of the yeah, financialization. The of, of everything, and, and not made in the sense oh, of frantic, but is this... We should have just done this for our last Why thing. didn't we just talk about the enslavement of my digital self? Right, so, like, is this inevitable? Because, like, Balaji said something one time that, like, stuck with me, and he said, right now, the way that we trade things is imagine an Excel spreadsheet with, like, a gajillion rows, okay, of all the things that you can buy in the world. And there's only one column. It's U.S. dollar. You can buy all these things with the U.S. dollar. And then you like take it a step further and like we see with Uniswap, oh shit, I can trade like a thousand uh, assets with a thousand other assets. And so he imagines that now we have a gajillion rows. We'll now take that out like a hundred thousand columns. Like you can now trade, you know, asset Z with and, and purchase it with asset N. And that made sense to me that that is a future, like especially with decentralized exchanges. So... My question is, like, is it inevitable that one of those rows or one of those columns will be a share of a person? And could you take that share of a person and change it back to U.S. dollars and ETH? That's, we can do that now. But maybe you can 
do that with uh, other things? And, and will these currencies be like, I don't know, a greater float? Um, now, we're not talking about like countries buying oil and buying goods. We're not talking about that. But like, is that matrix a, a, a future? Mm. And we could talk about if that's dystopian or not, because it certainly might well be. Mm. I have thoughts. Do you, I know. Do, do you I want mean, to? I, 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 I mean, this is one of those things that I think is very bad, but also will definitely happen because it's like what people want. It's what the market wants. Um, everybody does want to value themselves in a particular way on the Internet. And we currently use all these stand-ins like farm, dude. likes or follows or whatever. And now you can just have a dollar value. Now you can just have a market-derived price, right? It's just, It's just the ultimate endpoint of all the shit we've been beating around right for for decades like this is the end point it's okay. just like how much are you worth as a human you're gonna have teenagers being like oh becky you're such a worthless little whatever you're only worth a dollar and i'm worth like eight bucks a it's gonna be really bad a lot of us have heard of black mirror there's a specific episode that a mirror, lot of yeah. people have seen and there's a social score and it follows like a protagonist through like the ups and downs and eventual like severe decline when everyone can literally upvote and downvote you so replace that with keys or shares and someone you have a bad interaction at the coffee store and they like look look you up find you sell your share because well you didn't have a smile on your face that morning mm. and so like is this a start to like a dystopian future where I'm like it turns into like, like a social score that is a dollar no, value wait actually you go what if we're in <laughs> the dystopia as long as we stay happy we'll be okay i'm happy are you happy i'm happy yeah because like everything i think we're already in the dystopia i think you like what, you've achieved escape velocity though well, what, I, I, I what you guys are describing is like it's important to somebody who wants to play that game but that's only one game in the whole spectrum of life it's a lot like, of games like i don't give fuck about give that game fuck. at all like, whoa, whoa, whoa but what nick's talking about is something is a game you can't opt out of right and in nick's game this could actually be the free yes. market solution to it like imagine there is this communist controlled social credit score nick's credit score is like five yeah but there exists this crypto this market so for nick's on, credit that's, that's and he's different. like a 97 like we're talking about friend tech and then you go to this this other well, thing like, yeah. that's what no, this, they, no that's what he's talking about the conversation so here i think th like i think china has uh has experimented with this like yeah. social credit score and that feels really intrusive like no dude, because you, you can can't literally opt out prevent of it. Like, somebody from imagine, getting on the subway imagine the week your family member dies and you are a shell of a human being and you're like a piece of shit to everyone without even realizing it your social score dumps 90 percent and now when someone interacts with you for the first time and decides to do business with you hey, let me look up his uh share price on FriendTech to see if he's a good human being. You can't get a loan. You can't start a business. You can't. But FriendTech would be good because you're if, if FriendTech is done well, if it's done truly decentralized, then it couldn't be manipulated. It would be like Nick's actual free market friend price. So whereas like buy the, the dip, basically. Yeah. And the government one would be trying to manipulate Nick's share down. Like if he said something negative about the party, they would manipulate his price into the ground because it's centrally controlled. Well, look, this is the I decentralization like argument in, yeah. in a nutshell, right? But like the moment that you have any centralized power having a finger or toe in this, it's game over. It's complete game over. I mean, it's like, yeah, you would, I mean, what they're doing in China already, like they're I, preventing I agree, people from getting on the train, getting on the flight, controlling their whereabouts. It's true enslavement. So do we accept the least dirty shirt, which is like this app that's market-based versus like uh, in, a, in a possibly inevitable yes. centralized one? Yes, in a world where everything has like succumbed to the black mirror social credit score, whatever number they do to value you as a human, why can't, having we, like a why can't we do true open better? market? 
why can't we do better? Like, what's why do we have to keep going down this road of this? So I'm currently reading The Soul of Money. <laughs> oh, you're in the book so, club. Yeah. Should so we shout out the I, Alfalfa Book Club yeah, real quick? Yeah, so that's what I'm doing. Oh. I'm, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm reading The Soul of Money. So our Discord community, our community in general, which lives in, in our Discord and, and YouTube for the most part, um, I believe, I, I don't remember. Um, yeah, so there's a channel called... It's a thread. Novel Thinkers. Novel Thinkers. Book it's a club. book club. And the first book that kicked this whole thing off is uh, The Soul of Money. And I saw the conversation happening, and I was like, okay, what is this What 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 is this book all about? I looked it up. I was like, okay, this is interesting. It has the promise of being a book about money with novel takes that didn't, that aren't covered in, like, psychology of money and some of the more, like, self-help, just think abundant and you will get richer type books. I love those So anyway, books. I started. Those are good. Those are fun books. I started it on the car ride here and everything. And I don't know. I'm just in a place right now in particular, not just because of that book, but who I always have been, especially when we talk on this podcast is like, is this really the right way, man? Like, and by the way, if you want to join the book club, you should, it just started. Plug in, um, baby. Yeah. I'm plugging, um, <laughs> hop in novel thinkers, but yeah. Like, does it really need to go like this? Like we have a choice. Like we, <laughs> I just sometimes wonder, like, why do we sometimes get stuck into these ways of being? And maybe we should start transitioning because yeah. I think, you know, like the, the idea that we wanted to talk about next is like maintaining your sanity in this world. And in, in it's this becoming world where more value. difficult <laughs> yeah. and difficult. And now we're in this situation where people want to assign value to me and buy my my shares, my keys and and that is going to indicate the access I have in my life, the amount of money I make, the the uh, amount of uh, just, you know, the list goes on. I'm just it's, it's frustrating. I mean, you already have follower accounts like some people get really uh, I don't know. They get really into that. Personally, not I opted them out it. of all that. I like I was out. a complete opt out. I got one taste of that shit and I was out. You went for it for a bit and then you like, went for it for a long time, a long time. I thought I wanted to be this creator, this, I mean, I am creating right now, you know, it's, but it feels different because what I was creating for, oh man, there's such deep conversations here to be had, but it's like, is there a means to an end here or is this the end is constantly the question with everything that we do in our lives. Am I creating this content because it's autotelic and it's enjoyable in and of itself or because it is to gain something? And I think that I wanted to gain certain things. I also did it genuinely because I love creating. It's it's like an art form, right? Especially a podcast is very artistic to express yourself, to have this conversation, to prepare for it, to show up for it, to create a YouTube video, to write an article. You know, I've done all those kinds of things. And at times, though, there is this outcome that a person desires. They either want money freedom fame significance uh, significance yeah. um and not notoriety because i i keep reminding myself and everyone notoriety is negative everyone uses the word notoriety in the wrong way um notoriety is like notorious because it's, it's, it's being known for something negative but it's significance and like once i started to get a taste of this i got this a few times where I got a taste and I got a taste and I got a taste, but then I got a big taste, which was this video that we did on this podcast that got clipped, right? 
and we've mentioned before where we put it on Instagram and it got all these views and I had all these messages in my inbox and and it was nice and I felt like I was helping especially with that video because it was like a helpful topic and I felt like I was being a voice for women in Iran and it was beautiful but I realized that without realizing it it wasn't conscious that deep down I did want followers I did think that having followers had a benefit it's a feedback loop and all I realized is I don't care I don't care at all I would do this with or without followers like and I feel better showing up that way and I totally let go of that I had to get off social media completely for a while like now I'll check it but for me the sanity to to shift into that was to get off social media like getting off social media has been one of the greatest things I've ever done personally for my sanity and every day there's a new thing like friend tech but I have to slow down and remind myself like is this worth my time I don't know like I have to always check that so well I know I'm losing my sanity because while you were talking, I had a little voice in my head go like, I wonder what I'm worth right now. And then I I opened the Frentech app and I saw that a bot has already flipped me for a 700% ROI in uh, in Bastards. an hour. So, so yeah, this is going to ruin me for sure. Well, dude, I, like I will go insane. We did a dopamine detox because we discussed not just social media, but all of those different dopamines being extremely uh, worried worrisome and like incredibly unhealthy in excess yeah and we were all in excess and to now not just check like your followers and your likes and your comments but to check your oh worth oh my god is there anything worse is there anything worse no. than just having your no. fucking dollar your fucking value stock price bro? as a human? I'm not touching it's it. So bad. I'm not touching it. You can't get me in this. Oh dude. my god, it's this horrible. Whole thing is like I can't no even breathe. We're not worried about you. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I'm still unsigned up. So. Oh Jesus Christ. Oh man. <laughs> All right. So it. like, uh, anyone got any tips on uh, as we wrap up? Like tips on staying sane in a world where. Uh, you have a dollar value assigned. Yeah, stay to off friend tech, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I ask Probably guys, like, stay with off friend tech. Yeah. Like, where do you guys feel like this like sanity or lack of sanity come into play? Because like, where where do you feel like the need to uh, intervene? Like, what are you protecting yourself against in like an actual sense? Wait, wait. Why are, why do you feel the need to regain your sanity? Like, what well, is actually? I'm, I'm asking you where there? where. Is the sanity being lost? Because I'm a I'm a I'm a person who doesn't lose it. Like I never really even feel like all yeah, the we, shit you we guys know. are talking about the detox, the dopamine <laughs> shit. I'm like, this everybody knows affect me. Like all these things you're talking about on friend tech, like I don't even care. Like my stock could go to zero or to a thousand, whatever. I don't care. Well, like, I mean, I Steven, when you walked care. in, you were talking about like you were trading, and you're like, man, it is like hard to feel a little sane when I'm looking at charts all day and trading. So like, what is that feeling? Is it a feeling? Is it like uh, it's, do it's dopamine dope overload, like yeah. all these feelings, like they all trace back to the same damn place most of the time. And it's mostly too much dopamine or, or because you've had too much dopamine when you don't have it. Now you have a deficit and then your brain perceives that deficit as like something's wrong. So that's like a meta, a meta definition of it. I'm asking you and you and you. I'm asking you yeah. guys, right, where I'll, do you feel it? I'll tell you where I feel it is I have 
multiple active businesses and multiple investments that were, some require some management, some require not some management at all. And then you have your personal finances, and then let's include the personal life. We all have these things. And where I get to a point where like, am I gonna lose my sanity is like, I don't know, am I making progress? Or am I just doing things? That's where like, I get lost. And where I feel like, am I putting my time in the right place? Am I making progress towards my goals? And some days, there's so much going on. There's fires, there's opportunities. There's just like mundane admin shit you got to take care of that must be done. And I feel like, what am I fucking doing? Like, am I actually making progress? And so I'll skip to my solution a little bit is that we have like a scorecard uh, for our businesses. And I use like a weekly scorecard that is like, uh, you know, adjacent to my weekly goals. And each goal has a metric, you know, that's assigned to it. I feel like it's pretty easy to do to assign like a metric. And every Sunday, I just go through them. Saturday or Sunday, I go through them and I enter them in and it's either yellow or green, you know, still needs improvement or I'm hitting it. And that resets me. It says, okay, we're making progress on these ones. We're not making progress on these ones. And at least I know where I stand. And with so much going on, it's sometimes helpful to know where you stand. And like, I'll pull another like Tony Robbins thing out. Like one thing that he taught that stuck with me is that, you know, Maybe happiness isn't the best term, but let's just use it. Happiness comes from progress. Like, if you feel you're making progress, you feel kind of happy. And even when things are kind of like whirlwinding around you, if you can feel like, well, I made progress in my physical goals, like, that makes happiness. So, I don't know. I like to know where I stand in all these things that I'm doing. And then I can, like, you know, say all these things I'm doing are towards goal A, goal B, goal C. And I get a little calmness around it. It's but it's when I don't know if I'm making progress because so many things are going on that like I just get fucking lost and a little <laughs> weird. The algo out. likes measurements. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Armand. Do you feel like when do you yeah. feel not? I, I mean, sane? I, lo- I love. <laughs> it's like the. I think you're you're hilar- hilarious, dude. Like I love it because like it, the whole thing, the f- fascinating thing about us four is that we're so different from a personality perspective, actually. Like, we're very alike in our interests and our um, sort of, like, ability to hang out with each other, our humor, like, all that stuff. That's why we're friends, right? But when it comes to personality, we couldn't be more different. (laughs) And so, like, I I always find it fascinating when Eric pulls one of these, like, I don't get... He doesn't know that he's reached Nirvana. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like, what is your... Where in your life are you even struggling? Like where Define you don't have anxiety? What does that mean? <laughs> um, and I love what it because it's like sad. I think there's there's a couple areas for me where I think I've created that feeling the most, and I think it's because you at least you you should speak for yourself, but you strike me as someone who's achieved an ability to uh, be very balanced, right? In your approach to how you deal with everything, you have very good like self-regulation i'd be curious if you have more insights on this but like your ability to self-regulate and pull yourself back from something when you've gone too far is better than most so for me i have an addiction in a sense an obsession with my career i work really fucking hard and i think about that work all the time and that um is rooted 
in an insanely high measurement of conscientious, conscientiousness. Like my conscientiousness is like a 97, 98% percentile, like higher than 98% of people in a room. And like, that means I'm very organized as well. So I'm militant with my organization. I'm militant with my industriousness and my ability to work hard. So everything has to be like a certain way and I'm gonna fucking crush it when I do it. And so like, you come home and it's not really the place for that. And so like maintaining my sanity when I baby, come home. Baby, dog, everything. Yeah, baby, yeah. dog, <laughs> wife, slow down, be gentle, soften the edges. Like that's not really the place for that. Um, and the other, the other factor that I actually think is really deep and interesting is if you guys have all read Think and Grow Rich, and you've looked at that work, and a core part of what drives human existence is this pursuit of money. And the soul of money talks about this as well, but Think and Grow Rich is obviously about this. And one of the drivers for men in particular, at least that's, this is the way Napoleon Hill would talk, right? It's like 1930s men, and we were the producers. Of course, this is men and women now, but that people um, have a deep, 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 deep fear of poverty. And that the fear of poverty drives everything. And so I grew up in poverty for some years, and then it got better. And then I had to grab my, you know, pick up myself up by my own bootstraps and become conscientious and become independent and go work to make sure that I felt security in my life, that I didn't feel this feel, feeling of uh, I don't have enough. But the reality is that guy, that little kid who's scared, is always there, always there. I'm always worried deep down that it's all gonna fall apart and then I'm gonna be homeless. <laughs> right. It's just gonna be like game over, bankrupt, go That's home. That's how I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think those two things for me require regulation and sanity checks. So the way I achieve those things, uh, for me, I love the cold plunge, I love the sauna, in particular, the, the real wooden traditional sauna, although the infrared uh, is great as well. And I've been really into tapping meditation lately, which I wanted to tell you guys about today. So tapping meditation is, and I wanna pull up some, some notes on this to mention as well, but it's extremely effective, first of all. It's scientifically proven to be very effective for anxiety in particular, and people who have PTSD. I'll try to pull up the stats. I, maybe I can't, wait, I can't wait to see what this actually is versus what I think it is in my head. But it's interesting that Armands are like physiological mm. in nature, like cold plunge, sauna. I'm sure working out for all of us is one of those things, but like... It's like the only thing. Well, the meditation me. right. is... I, w I wouldn't say it's physiological, although there is a physiological component to the tapping. I, that is I'm curious to see if it's I mean, I, I, is it literally I just tapping. Literally, I, I imagine no. Armand just doing this. <laughs> tapping the third eye. That's what I was picturing. Yeah, well, I'm it's curious something like that. curious if that's that. what this is, It's actually. something like that. I didn't want to spoil it by doing any actual research on this topic, so. <laughs> no, but I'll give you this. In a large-scale study of 5,000 patients um, that were seeking treatment for anxiety, they received either traditional anxiety treatment in the form of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the most popular and highest efficacy form of therapy in general for, for anxiety, um, with medication if needed, right? So they either did CBT with medication or tapping with no medication. An improvement was found in 90% of patients who received, who received tapping therapy compared to 63% of 
of the CBT participants. Only three tapping sessions were needed before an, before an individual's anxiety was reduced. Three, while an average of 15 was needed for CBT to show results. Three versus 15. Complete relief of symptoms was seen in 76% of people who did the acupoint tapping compared to 51% in the CBT group. These are people that did... Okay, show us the tapping. Get, get <laughs> to the point. Show us the tapping. Tap, no tap, oh, so tap for me, app. Daddy. Download the tapping app. I need an oh, app really to tap? So... You can't just tap? Get I'm out. the tapping solution <laughs> app. Onboarding is Onboarding is horrible. Wow. <laughs> you guys are funny. Just, just tell us. That better not be called like Tapio or it's some free bullshit. App. It's called Tapping Solution. It'll oh. walk you through it. Okay. And there's different meditations. Can you give it's, us the? You're gonna give us the 101? No, you guys are you guys are freaking out about the tapping part. What is it's it? A, it's just imagine a guided meditation. Okay. And yeah. then she tells you where to tap. Okay. So you, you literally are tap meditating. yourself. Yes. Where yeah. are some but of the places where you tap? Give us like one, one or two. Acupressure point. It's acupressure. Like wrist? Yes, wrist. I got to hold places. That wrist. would be effective. Um, uh, taint. <laughs> taint, of course. Taint, of course. Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm joking. It's an old alfalfa thing. Uh, <laughs> your forehead, your underneath the uh, uh, nose here, the chin, underneath the arms. Yeah, you just tap it. Well, like a uh, uh, big part of meditation is just like awareness of your body. You know, like in a lot of meditations talk about like, be aware of like where your body is in space. Like, what is it touching? Is it, and don't try to like disturb it or change it. Just like, where is the weight fall? Is it your feet on the ground? Is it your hand on the chair? Is I it think that's very good for anxiety and panic, in okay. particular. This is a little different though, and I can't quite explain what they're doing and why it works. But I mean, look at that. Does she study. give you a metronome to tap? Is it like a one per second, or is it no? It's just tap just at tap. your own pace. Yeah, just tap. Wait. At like medium pace? Try it out. Try it out. <laughs> in <laughs> particular, if you've ever experienced anxiety. Try okay, can yeah. I tell you a weird thing that happened to me today right before I came here? Where I was like, oh. So I went to um, like a chiropractor and he was trying to figure out why my feet are all messed up and shit. And he was having me do stuff like where I stood on various size boxes and everything and just like resisted like his push down. And, like, every position he put me in, it was like, yeah, it was totally fine, totally fine. And then he put me in one position where it was this, and I was like, okay. And then he did it, and then he tapped one finger on my forehead while he did it, and then, like, I collapsed. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? And then he did it again, and, like, I collapsed. He was just, all he did was, like, tap on <laughs> my forehead, and then, like, suddenly I couldn't hold my arm up. It's because your body's made of spare parts, dude. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I was, I, was, I, no, I was asking him with him. I was like, I was like, what the hell just happened there? He's like, oh, you know, it's like uh, with uh, acupuncture. And I was like, that was not a satisfactory explanation, and he wouldn't give me any more, and he just kind of like, moved on to the chart, next thing. It was so weird. So I, I, th I feel like there's, like, this has to be, like, a thing. So in, in the study, is there, like, a... I forget what they call it, but it's like the driving factor. Do they isolate like why it helps anxiety, Armand? I'm sure they did. Um, it's this combination of the meditation itself, okay. the release that it creates in the body, the acupoints. It's all the things. Take yeah. a look. Matt, Matt look up the study. In the, in the chat I'll actually says, link uh, to the app that I use. It's called Tapping Solution. He mentions um, there's lots of tapping therapy apps. Yeah, in let, me, the app let store. me just link to the four one and a half I ratings use. plus. Can't argue with the market. No, I'll never argue with the market. But that's look, not I true. Mean, I do that are you going to argue with something that's literally the most effective? Uh, here's that that link. 
more effective than cognitive behavioral therapy, which is like if you sign up all this rage about therapy, right? Go to therapy, go to therapy, go to therapy. And it's three sessions versus 15 to reduce your anxiety. I mean, I, I would totally remarkable. buy that. Like, because for, for me personally, thinking about stuff, talking about stuff, meditating, none of this does anything for me. The only thing that like completely heals like me. Yes. It's like physical exertion plus flow state. Like if you can do something where you exert yourself physically and get in like a flow state, like for me, that will reset anything for me. And it's just purely physiological. It's just like I, I can't reset just from thinking about stuff or meditating. So I would actually believe there is like something to the, the contact that like that that that, that works. It's I, really I totally interesting. Before you start the tapping meditation, it asks you like where you're at one to ten. Mm hmm. I always get a 20% minimum reduction in my score afterward. Um, and it says, like, if you didn't, if it didn't reduce, just let's go again. Like, let's go another how long, round. How long do you usually do it for? 10 minutes. Okay. That's the other beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. If I didn't mention that, that's the best part. Most of the meditations are like 10 minutes. And they have different ones, different guided meditations. But to wrap this, like, um, is there anything else that you guys do i'm curious to well i mentioned well, mine you, you've never felt well i want to ask i want to ask <laughs> you guys because um for me it's a little different right yeah, like yeah. uh like i've been mad before i've been sad before right like but I, I think the question for you is yeah how do you self-regulate and how do you turn gears quickly so that you don't lose your sanity so i've been in points where i probably should have tapped like mm -hmm. because i've i've like kind of like lost it before mm -hmm. i've definitely been there it's like, yeah, oh, you get you get riled up sometimes, of course. right? And yeah. it'd be nice to like have a tool to be like, okay, now's the time where I should just do that. Uh, I think broadly where I land is I I tend to have like a a longer wick, you know, like before I lose it, you know, I, I have mm. a longer wick where I, I can like be okay for a long time, and and the reason why I can be okay is because like I have this like absolutist mentality about a lot of things, right? Where, where I say like, okay, how does this affect me? Can I solve it? yes and then how do i go about doing that and then like i just pragmatically like work through the steps and then what that, if it's no and if it's no if it's like a complete no then i'm also okay with that because it's like this can't be solved it's out of your power just okay so move this, on. Is, this is fascinating so you see where most people fall apart is in the mulling and i use that term technically like they mull and they mull and they mull over the problem and what you're doing you're saying is like you'll very quickly run through this diagram and determine there's something that can be done or not. And even and if it can't, you remove the idea and you stop the mulling. And I actually think that like that part is kind of easy because it's like black and white. Mm -hmm. um, but there there's like the shades of gray that you mentioned earlier, which is like the the workaholism. Mm -hmm. um, I have this ability to um, to kind of like diagnose diminishing returns pretty quick where I, I say like, OK, so what do you need to do to make this work versus like what can you do and there's like an infinite number of possibilities that you can do yeah. but like you know some people can't turn that off you know like my yeah. mom is one of them like i think you guys are examples of that but like i'm a, i'm able to be like well yeah that's like an infinite number of possibilities that you can do what should we do in like right. a practical so sense where we might go through like 20 cycles of thinking that same thing maybe you go through one or two and you kind of like settle in on on one like an answer do you, do you ever worry? Or like, do, do, do you guys remember that Seinfeld episode with the Serenity Now? Am I, am <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like dating myself here? No, I've, I've actually heard that quote. It was a George Casanza who like screams it. Like, I just don't know, know the context. Uh, so the, the gist of this episode is like his dad or somebody is like, 
he's just enraged all the time. And then through some self-help thing, he just says to himself, like, Serenity, Serenity now. Serenity now, baby. And it goes away. It's and everybody's like, episodes. wow. He's so calm and everything. He's unbelievable. He just says these words no, and he's like back to normal. To says, and then I think either, now! well, either like Kramer or George start, they start like, I don't know, they start like a computer business or something and they stockpile the garage with like a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I think it was George because Kramer buys into this. And then, like, one day, he just snaps. Like, he can't say it anymore. He's just like, Serenity, no! And he just goes in the garage and destroys like, um, all the entire I had, inventory. Uh, I had my psychology of personality teacher. This guy was epic. It was a 500-person class. He didn't give a fuck about the grades. Like, you're all getting A's. I'm tenured. I don't give a fuck. So <laughs> we're just going to read Think and Grow Rich, and then we're going to go through, like, the, the topics of it. But he gave us one tip. He said, if your mind is going out of control, just audibly say the word stop out loud, like doesn't matter if you're around people or you're by yourself. Stop. Say, stop. And your brain will actually shut it down, slow down, and it actually helps when you're it in worked. this like mind spiral. The other one you mentioned this to me before is the uh four seven eight breathing technique. Oh yeah, that that is very helpful. Inhale for four, hold for seven, breathe out for eight. That one is like hundred percent hit rate. Me. Don't forget about the new breathing that Huberman and has really popularized as well. I can't remember the name right now. Do you guys remember? But you do a deep breath and you, you inhale you, again. You hold and you inhale again. It simulates like a crying inhale yeah, almost. So like, it's like a and then yeah. right after. And you, you do that after you think you have taken the biggest breath you possibly can, but you find a little bit more to squeeze out. And then a deep breath out, and that is very effective. Yeah, and shout out anxiety. to uh, Tom Nom Nom in the chat. Uh, big fan of yours, my friend. Um, yeah, he mentions a Huberman podcast where he talks about mind-body connection. He talks about some of the, med the meditation and breath work, specifically a podcast about that connection. And he says, there's a wonderful conversation about mortality in the face of a tough diagnosis. Um, Let's see, Pilgart mentions, in my opinion, it's very hard to be happy and fulfilled when focusing and spending energy on things I can't influence anyways. Focus on your family, close friends, and community that I can influence, similar to what Eric was saying. I, want, I wanted to mention this is like, I think one thing we didn't talk about as well is like, for, I, I, I find the prompt of like losing your sanity a little, you know, overblown because really like... I, I didn't. I, okay. <laughs> well, I also have like, I think a good fuse, right? Like... It takes I me a while to get, like, and especially with people. Like, I can be pretty patient with people unless they, like, hit certain things. And then I try to, to, to resolve them as quickly as possible and in, a, in as calm a way as possible. But there are certain things that, like, will just occur that take over. But the thing that really, I think, causes a lot of people to lose their sanity is the amount of information. The information overload that exists today is, I think, the biggest problem for most people. So that's why I try to be very, very, very conscious of, like, the apps, the news, the Twitters, and the Xs, and, like, how much of that I take in. Because how much of it is actually useful is what I try to ask myself. Like, how much of it am I actually going to use that progresses me toward my, my real goals? So I think that's an important distinction. Because a lot of people feel a lot of that... Uh, a lot of that overwhelm today. Oh, I forgot, Nick. You have to be. Uh, you have to be our. I was like, where are you going? Where are you going? Are we wrapping? We'll All wrap right. there. It was wonderful. And uh, Stephen, would you like to give us a little bow tie? A little what? A little bow tie. A little, a little bow tie right at the end here. 
About yeah. yeah. I was going to mention that to you, but I was going to wait till after we, we finished I was, recording. I was looking to mention that I, to you. I I noticed. Yeah, I noticed. It's okay. anything? Because if not, I'll I'll wrap it. No, my that, I I mean I was going to just like, for me. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed is that anything anxiety like it. It manifests in the physical to me. Mm-hmm. Like I've realized I used to think it was this thing that was in my brain and I could just think it away. But like I, it, for, for me anyway, it is it is literally like a physical manifestation. It's like an energy that's stored in me. And I don't know any way to get rid of it other than to sort of like physically discharge it. Well, I'll tell you what. You seem lighter on your toes every start, ever since you started twinkle-toeing across the pickleball court. So there you go, brother. Yeah, I know we talk about it a lot, but it is like saved my life to like no, have I'm, that I'm, like I'm serious, reset every day. Well, I'm serious because I go to bed every night feeling 80%. like great. We talk about that. Yeah. Eric and I have talked about that a bunch. It's the 80 percent that documentary with Jonah Hill talks about it. Tony Robbins focuses the majority of his work on the physiology. So, yeah, it's real. It's real for sure. You know, you just exercise. Thank and you for saying that. Eat well. It's like it's a real thing. But. Round it out by saying, um, please share. We had the, uh, the last episode that we did on relationships and, you know, the itch, and that created a really great conversation in the community in our Discord. If you're not in the Discord, please jump in, share your thoughts on how you stay sane, and share the alfalfa and learn from everyone else. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Um, anything you think we should know, hit us up in the.